Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about me, Dan Moran. I'm an intense Welsh concrete expert driving home to my wife and two sons on the evening before I have to pour loads of cement for the foundations of a really important job. However, all is not as it seems. As it transpires, I've had a one-night stand resulting in a pregnancy and the baby is being born tonight. Over the next tedious 90 minutes, I deal with my distraught wife, my annoying kids, an Irish building man, a councilman, the mad woman I've knocked up... And the ghost of my dad, who's always bloody judging me from the back seat, is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 2013 shit Tom Hardy movie, Lock. This is in fact a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is my angry, hysterical wife, Sam Foster. What's that noise? Danny. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. Is it the distant howling of the wind? The creaking of the floorboards? The groaning of the pipes? The background hiss of our badly set up microphones? No! It's the sound of our approaching review of Guillermo del Toro's spooky gothic romance Crimson Peak, a film that will make you shit yourself in fear, and then Google the name of the costume designer. Plus, we cry yippee kai wah at the news of where the Die Hard franchise is heading next, issue a wordless roar at the news of where the Godzilla franchise is heading next, and relentlessly plug our upcoming film night, Monday, October the 26th, at the Social Bar in London, an ungoogleable quiz and a screening of Tenebrae. Put that in your diary and smoke it. Finally, there should just be time for me to do a live reading of my new script for an indie British horror film, Stag Do or Die, in which seven cheeky blokes head to the Greek island of Xanti for a weekend of pre-wedding carousing. But did they pick the wrong EasyJet flight to be rowdy on? If you enjoy the script and want to help fund Stag Do or Die, please send me a bag of money in the post. Thanks. Welcome to the 46th episode of Film Chat. This week's episode is brought to you from Danny's bedroom. Hey! Thanks for having us, Danny. You're welcome. <laughs> You're very welcome. The royal, the royal ass I was using there. 
Um, so we don't have a lot of correspondence this week. Activity on the Film Chat Facebook page has been low. Um, we just posted the trailer for the new um, Cohen's movies. That looks Cohen's great. movie, Hail Caesar. It looks like fun. No one really cared, though, because maybe, maybe we should have said something about it, you know, made a witty comment about it or something. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. It's just gone to the dumps as that podcast, really, hasn't it? It's just... Yeah, come back, Katie. Please, please come back. Please come back. Or at least post something on our Facebook page. Though, we should plug. Yeah. I mean, not having any correspondence gives us an opportunity to use this space to plug our night, which I referenced a second ago in the introduction. And we'll be referencing in the new section and the review section. Every five minutes, there will be another plug for this. Um, it is on Monday, October the 26th. We are hosting a night at the Social Bar in London. That's the kind of cool guys we are now. We get a, we've get we got our own night and stuff. It's going to be a smash hit, I'm sure. We are doing a film quiz. Um, Danny has been hard at work cutting all sorts of bits of video clips together and stuff in a very cool way. It's going to be like that Nicolas Cage losing his shit video, but like a million times more exciting. Way better. Much more professionally edited. Yes, it is the mostly ungoogable film night. So these are, hopefully the questions will be entertaining in and of themselves. If you feel like, oh, I don't really know much about films, you don't need to know much about films. You just need to have an open mind and an open heart and <laughs> and just the will to be there. Yeah, I would say there will be plenty of questions, which probably even if you do know a lot about films, you're not going to get them. So yes. in a way, that levels the playing field exactly for the people who don't know that much. But but they will be fun to hear the questions. Exactly. Exactly. It's going to be great. And then we're going to screen Tenebrae, which is a really fun movie. Uh, it's got blood, um, boobies, mm-hmm. um, stabbings. Blood on boobies? There's some blood on boobies. <laughs> it's got a pulsing electro score. Yeah. The score is so good that Justice sampled it. And then they just sample any old shit. They only sample the best. The, the absolute cream um, of techno horror music. Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be great, guys. It's going to be super fun. Come. Come. Make sure you're there. I'm looking at you, um, Steph Mildener. Yeah, Steph. I mean, I don't know what the flights are like from Thailand to... So when was the last time you visited London? Yeah, come join us, Steph. I think it's time. I like how it's getting creepy. No, 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 no. It's good. It's like the correspondence section. Instead of being people writing to us, it's more like us speaking to them. You yeah. Know? It's James, like... why, why haven't you clicked attending yet <laughs> on the event? James, James, yeah. James. And what about um? Who else is our hardcore fans? Kyle Skilton. We haven't heard. Kyle, where where have you gone, Kyle? Kyle, do you come, still listen? Come to our film night, please. Has the gloss kind of worn off after forty six episodes, which has not really evolved or developed in any way. <laughs> <laughs> It's because it lost its, um, you, you know... think if they were going to, you know, jump ship, they would have done so, like, episode six. That's probably know? what they're thinking now. They're yeah. probably like, why did I stick through 40-plus episodes of this crap? Anyway. Um, anyway. Please so, come. It's going to be great. Yeah. Be there. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. So, Die Hard, this is probably one of the global franchises that people are the least excited about seeing another installment of. Maybe after um, Transformers. Um, But I would say that, uh, although I didn't see Die Hard 4, um, the sort of marketing of it was characterised by a general lack of enthusiasm amongst all concerned. Um, Bruce Willis was looking increasingly lugubrious in his various um, media appearances. Yeah, and Die Hard 5, right? Wait, that was Die Hard... There's five. There's, there's five. There's five diehards. Wait, so wait. Maybe says something for the franchise that you can't remember the fifth one. <laughs> the fifth one. Yeah, the fifth one was the, the most recent one. That was the like one in in Russia or something. That was Live Free or Die Hard. No, that was four, right? 
No, four, four was live for a diehard. Yeah, so five, five was what's that called even? Shit, what was it called? Um, a good day to die hard. <laughs> That's what it's called. A good day to die hard. A good day to die hard. Yes. Good. I'm really pleased you remember that. It's quite impressive. <laughs> so, a good day to die hard um, seems to have done relatively good worldwide business, despite being hated by critics and by its home audience in the US. <laughs> <And> its cast. <laughs> its cast. <laughs> But the director of number four, Live Free or Die Hard, then Wiseman, is looking to make another Die Hard film. And uh, before everyone tops themselves with the boredom of that idea, there'll be a slight twist this time, because it is going to be an origin story of the legendary John McClane. Brilliant. It's going to be like young McClane. It's like young Morse, um, but McClane. <laughs> <laughs> or like young Frost. Do you can just call it McClane? That would be, yeah, why not? Yeah. They've got Creed coming out. You know, just take a bunch of characters yeah, exactly. um, from the 80s and just give them their own movie with a surname. Do you reckon this is, um, Bruce is getting a bit old, so we're like, we've got to reboot the franchise. Get some young, get blood young guy. Yeah. So we can cast him in the eventual remakes. Len Wiseman had Bruce Willis's son in the Die, Die Hard 4, right? Played by Jai Courtney. Um, no, <laughs> he was in Die Hard 5. Mary Elizabeth Winstead was his daughter in Die, Die Hard, Hard 4. 4. Oh, so it's Die Hard 5 with his son. 5's with his son, 4's with his daughter. Okay. First one and second one's with his wife. The third one's with Samuel Jackson. Okay, so in the in the fifth one, they had his son. They did a kind of Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull yeah, type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but unfortunately, they cast one of the world's most boring actors, Jai Courtney. Yeah. So now they're probably thinking, let's try that again, maybe get someone a bit more exciting. This is like a terrible idea, yeah. because... The whole premise of Die Hard is that he's like a, he's a normal guy. Yeah. He's a you know he's a badass cop, but like you know he's in way out of his head. Yeah, yeah. But he kind of becomes. But he becomes a hero. Yeah, that's why the the first film is automatically better than the subsequent ones because exactly. he, he's by the start of the second one he's already been on his whole dramatic journey. Yeah, yeah. He's no longer the underdog. So do you think that the, that means that the sixth Die Hard movie will be very low key? Yeah. It'll just be him on the beat. And he's got to solve a robbery. Um. There's you know it's like broken Parking windows. Tickets. Yeah. Maybe he just like ha- he's got all the same um, kiss off lines and you know um, famous quotes, but he just hasn't quite gotten right yet. Mm. So he's like, <laughs> "Yep, K, mofo." Doop de doo. And like his partner's like, "That sounds a bit lame, John." He's like, "I'm working. I'm working on it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always thought you were saying he'd be using all the same lines, but just for like much less bad crimes. <laughs> Yip, kaye, motherfucker. It'll just be you know um, someone's jaywalking or something like that. I guess in the prequel, because in the first movie, his marriage is on the rocks. So mm. maybe he'll be happily married in the first movie. I mean, where's the conflict in this film? <laughs> well, you know, movie. in order to have dramatic conflict, movies don't have to have huge stakes, right? Not at all. It could just. It could be... Exactly. Very yeah. good point. The stakes of that movie are just that, you know, uh, the little girl's moving town. Yeah. So maybe in the sixth Die Hard movie, it will just about be about him moving from New Jersey to New York. Yeah. Or something like that. Is it set in New York, Die Hard? Um, yeah, remember. he's a New York cop. He's a New York cop, yeah. yeah. So um, so it'll be about him being dislocated, and he's kind of dealing with his, uh, dealing with these issues. Yeah, going to get Jason Reitman to direct it. And, um, <laughs> Men, <laughs> women, children, and McLean. That's what it's going to be called. Yeah, Explosion in the Sky, going to do the soundtrack. It's going to be a very low-key movie. <laughs> well, I actually think if they went in that direction, it has probably more chance of being a good film. It's true. Uh, in more exciting news, J-Law the most in-demand actress in the world. Mm-hmm. Not is... to be confused with Jude Law. Jude Law. <laughs> Jay so Law is in Jennifer Lawrence. Exactly. Um, is in talks to star in the new Darren Aaron Aaron Aronofsky mm-hmm. uh, film, director of Black Swan, The Wrestler, Noah. 
no 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 wrecking for a dream pie and all that um yeah it's very there's very little information about this film it's just Darnowski is making a new film yeah J Law is attached he, but uh, those two names together excite me. I read this article and they mentioned this Darren Aaron Aaron Aronofsky idea in which uh, there's like a boy in New Jersey whose drawings come to life or something like that. Yeah, he's got several like um, he's got several projects in development. He was briefly attached to doing an Evil Knievel biopic with Channing Tatum. Yeah, that's apparently fallen apart. But even that sounded interesting. But Darren Aronofsky is um, it's hard not to say Aaron yeah, like yeah. a million times. Darren Aronofsky is a director who's kind of seen as being uh, like an auteur or a, you know, someone with a really strong vision who makes like really uh, you know powerful films. But I don't really have a clear idea of what a Darren Aronofsky film well, is. This is what kind of makes him interesting because he, it's a famous quote by him saying, I would be surprised if anyone liked all my films. Yeah. Because they're all very different, which is what makes him so interesting as a director. Well, what would you say was, uh, do you have an idea of what the sort of key Aronofsky characteristic is? Um... It's usually focused on one person going through. It's like a sort of Lars von Trier movie. They like mm. go through hell. Yeah, it's I like, guess that's. I guess that's true. Yeah, one person and sort of like, protagonist and their sort of um, uh, trial of fire kind of thing. Yeah, which is usually some sort of huge existential undertaking. Sometimes visually so. So <laughs> sorry, I've had a few beers. <laughs> well, like in the Fountain, it's very much like a visual sweeping epic, and in the wrestler, it's. A sort of similar protagonist arc, but it's like a bit more low key. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's all very true. Jennifer Lawrence is a brilliant actress, but I think by far and away her best movie is Winter's Bone, which is like what um, launched brought... her career. Yeah, exactly. And since then, she's made these obviously very successful Hunger Games movies and these David O. Russell movies, which have done very well, but I'm not particularly keen on. So I like the idea of her just doing more interesting stuff because I think she's got like a lot of range and she's. She's like a, such a watchable presence. Definitely, but yeah. Her recent filmography, I think, is slightly lesser than she is. Uh, yeah, it'd be great to see her something to get, get a lot of teeth into. A lot yeah. of her teeth into. All of them, perhaps. Just get, yeah, all of her shining white teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So... Final bit of news. King Kong, he's a huge hairy beast. He is. <laughs> he is cinematic gold. Isn't he? He's box office gold. And uh, everyone is thrilled um, at the opportunity to see him again on the big screen doing his thing. And um, they are going to get that opportunity um, either next year or the year after when Kong Skull Island arrives. Um, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. It is being directed by a gentleman called... Uh, <laughs> what's it called? It's called Jordan Vogt Roberts. Vogt Roberts. I've never heard of him, but I'm sure he's a very talented man. And uh, yeah, that's coming out in March 2017, and that will be followed by a sequel to the Godzilla film the following year. Um, no information about what that's called. Possibly Godzilla um, Tokyo Island. I don't know. <laughs> Godzillas. <laughs> Godzillas. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're following that up with a Kong versus Godzilla film what? to land 
in 2020. Oh my god. Oh my god. So the trend of uh, announcing your movies really, really far in advance continues. And shared universes. That's a new... And shared universes, exactly. Teaming up in big films. Yeah, so now that Batman vs Superman has been such a success already, despite having not come out, um, they want to put more films with a V in the title. Yeah. They, like, Aliens vs Predator is probably not the, you know, the best. Freddy vs Jason Freddy also versus... <laughs> failed to capitalise. The... That's funny, because like that is exactly the sort of movie they've been making now, isn't it? Yeah. The kind of cross-universe uh, thing, you know. Exactly. Um, it's a strange one because um, all monsters are allegories for something. Yeah. Generally. And, like, the Godzilla is an allegory for, like, Hiroshima and nuclear war. And King Kong is an allegory for slavery. So when you make them fight against each other, it's like, what's worse? <laughs> like, yeah, but they're also kind of... There's some speculation in the story that um, I was reading in Empire... That they're going to be like the heroes. It'll be like kind of Batman v Superman thing, where they're kind of friends, and then there's another third there's, monster. There's a third monster. There could be a third monster. Right. So it'll be a bit like slavery and nuclear weapons Teamed teaming up, up yeah. to fight a giant moth or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what does the moth represent? <laughs> I don't know, the, the the danger to wool. No idea. Captain's um, interests. Well, yeah. Well, Godzilla has had many foes over the years, right? Yeah, there's a whole plethora of... There's a plethora of, of foes. One of them is probably called Plethora. One of those <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Aren't they kind of banking on these two films that haven't come out being successful? Like, what if Skull Island, you know, uh, sinks beneath the waves and uh, Godzilla 2 is, you know... <laughs> 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 you can do it, man. It's got to figure that pippy way. I don't know. <laughs> Breeze fire of itself <laughs> disintegrates in the box office. Yeah, that's perfect. Leaves with its tail between its legs. People uh, stop believing in it. I don't know. Cause it's like Godzilla. Perfect. Yeah. So what if that happens? Like, do they still have to make this film? Will they only have a budget of like, you know, 100,000 or something? I think this is one of those things where it's a new story, <laughs> which is basically, it was like a shareholders meeting or something. Yeah. You know, and it's, and yeah, but when you put it as like a sort of uh, press release, it seems like this ridiculously overconfident yeah, yeah. But it's actually probably just, you know, it's for the investors. Maybe all of these absurdly early marketing dates are just kind of ways for studios to generate headlines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Marvel, so that's true. Marvel just announced a whole bunch of movies which don't even have titles. They just have dates. That's literally <laughs> all they have. They've, <laughs> they've announced, like, post-Phase 3 films that yeah. are just, like, a Marvel film will come out, you know, March 17, 2023 or something like that. It's like, so? That's the same news Is that even news? <laughs> They're going to release a film that year? We're going to make more films. Yeah, and then thereby generating stories like, what are the untitled films? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bizarre. If it, they're teaming up, because Godzilla was set in the present day, I'm just assuming this new King Kong movie would be... Um, also set in the present day. Yeah, which they did once in the 70s with Jeff Bridges, and it was terrible. Mm. But maybe The one where he climbs the World Trade Center. Yeah. What's, what's he going to climb this time round? What will he climb? Good what's question. The, what's the tallest building now? The one in Dubai? Mm. Are they going to take him... That- are they connect Kong to Dubai now? Well, they might do because um, it's a big thing, you know, getting the financing from there these days. You know, they probably get a lot of tax breaks. I think like China's had... the big market. What's the biggest building in China? Well, there's, there's Hong Kong. There's big skyscrapers in Hong Kong yeah. and Shanghai. Take it to Shanghai. Maybe he will climb the building in Shanghai, which Batman leaps off in The Dark Knight. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the building that Batman once jumped down, Kong will now climb up. I can't wait for the inevitable mashup YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, wait. Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol had a big sequence in Dubai, yeah, um, and in the Burj Dubai, the tallest building in the world. And uh, Fast and Furious Seven also had a big sequence um, in Dubai, in which they drive a car from one skyscraper through the window into another skyscraper. Wow. And so, you know, I'm already looking forward to the mashup sequence where it's like King Kong is climbing the building, Tom Cruise is fighting some guy, he like leaps off the building, you know, Vin Diesel drives a car like through him. It's probably probably going to look great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So anyway, how you know, although initially sceptical for the YouTube mashup um, videos to come, I think it's probably great. It's going to be amazing. I yeah. can't wait. Can't wait. It'll be amazing. It'll be so good. It'll be so good. So we end every news out of my desk just like, that's so good. It's going to be so <laughs> fucking gonna be good. So good. It's going to be so good. Woo! 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 Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone a friend so you know where she's at. Like, that's enough now. Back to film chat. So, Crimson Peak is the new movie by Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro! The Mexican... That's a bit too uh, Italian, the way I pronounce that. <laughs> Mexican auteur who is the genius behind Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy 2, the other genius movie in Pacific Rim. Yeah, and this also is a his, genius movie. His latest film. It is set at the turn of the 20th century. Mia... Waskakowska? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe I believe the way it's pronounced is Mia Waskakowska. You know, the, the one from Alice in Wonderland yeah. plays Edith Cushing. She is a young wannabe writer who can see ghosts. And uh, she's writing a ghost story. She lives with her father, who is a rich... Uh, industrialist, industrialist man. man. Self-made American man. In, uh, in Buffalo, New York. Into their lives comes uh, Baronet Thomas Sharp, played by Tom Hiddleston. He is a sexy, handsome, charming man who might have a dark past. He wants money to get the very good clay from <laughs> his estate out of the ground. He's yeah. got this lovely red clay, which is apparently very, very good for bricks, but no one's giving him any money, and he's going from industrial to industrialist saying, give me some cash, it's yeah. going to be a great investment. Uh, but everyone's saying no, and uh, some dramatic events transpire which you probably can't go into but basically uh, Edith falls for Thomas and she ends up marrying him and moving to Alladay Hall in Cumberland in the north of England and uh, there is Lucille played by Jessica Chastain who's Thomas's somewhat mad seeming sister mm. who has taken a bit of a dislike to Edith <laughs> and it quickly transpires that all might not be as it seems as the house is haunted things are spooky and so things spooky. sort of go on from there yeah. Lots of jumps and scares and frills and chills. And spills. And spills. Everything. They've uh, just cast the sort of three most terrifying looking <laughs> actors, you know, going today and uh, had them, you know, spooked up to the max. Exactly. I was looking at what clip to play and every clip has a bit about how the house uh, seems spooky for some bizarre reason. So I've cut them all together and this is a little taste of Crimson Peak. At home. We have only black moths. Formidable creatures, to be sure, but they lack beauty. They thrive on the dark and the cold. What do they feed on? Butterflies, I'm afraid. I saw a woman in the elevator. Must have been a shadow. That contraption has a mind of its own. The wires are affected by the damp in the house. Connect to the clay pits, you see, and never, ever go below this level. Thomas, your bride is frozen. Of course. Forgive me. Let's go upstairs. Start a fire at once. I'll run you a hot bath. 
The pipes will run red at first because of the clay. Soon the water will clear. Terrifying. Terrifying. I'm Ev afraid. I'm afraid everything in here drips blood all the time. Sorry about that. Yeah, I thought yeah. this was... It's awful, isn't it? It's ghastly. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought this is a very confident, beautifully crafted film, which is very unsurprising in terms of story and plotting, but a lot of fun nevertheless. Yeah, I had great fun. For, for me, it was a bit like going to a fairground and like going on a ride that's like in the haunted house, you know, and then it just takes you around and shows you a sort of cool, spooky thing all the time. And it was obviously so, it was obviously made with such love and like so much fun. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I feel like it's a real treasure trove. For, if you're like a horror aficionado, you could probably pause every shot and there'd be about 20 references to things. Yeah. None of which I got, but there was you could tell that like a lot of care was put into it yeah it's also kind of a um it's like reading one of Guillermo del Toro's sketchbooks in a way it's like everything that he loves is in this movie you know his love of little mechanical things and uh like bugs and butterflies and uh kind of creepy crawlies and that kind of thing and like um yeah all the sort of beautiful visuals i don't know it's it's not very it's sort of too luxurious to be scary um, yeah, he's described as more of a gothic romance than, than, a, a, horror. than a horror. And yeah. I think that's probably true. Yeah, I think it's if you're going into a space to be a horror, you might be a bit disappointed at how it's not like that scary. Yeah, it's more kind of creepy and jumpy rather than actually terrifying. But I think what's the sort of flaw of the script, perhaps, is that it's less of a progression of events, but more just stuff Gamado Toro likes, as you said. So there are certain elements which are just sort of in the movie just because he likes it yeah. and it's there. But for the most part, it sort of comes together quite nicely. But there are at times um, things happen just because that's the sort of thing that would happen in this kind of movie rather than it being particularly germane to the plot or Absolutely. story. Yeah, I think the story, the story of the movie is certainly the secondary element. It's, it's not a movie that tries to avoid the cliches of the genre so much as embrace them and uh, do them with as much like love and care as possible. Yeah, it's just, it's just he wanted to make some kind of uh, gothic film which takes everything and turns it up to 11. And uh, that's particularly evident in like the scene setting and the costumes and everything like that, which are like super over the top. Like, I cannot imagine anyone was wearing the dresses that um, Mia Wasikowska <laughs> Um, and uh, Jessica Chastain wearing this film because they're just so over the top and ridiculous, but they're kind of amazing. Yeah, completely. What did you think of uh, the performances? I thought they were excellent. I thought Jessica Chastain was the highlight as the uh, clearly nuts sister. <laughs> it just it, She looks at, with um, hatred at absolutely everyone and everything <laughs> at all times, and uh, she's really thrown herself into the role. Her accent is a little bit dodgy, She's doing a sort of cut glass English accent, which doesn't quite work, but that's okay. You know, once you get over that, it's totally fine. And uh, she's got this amazing, like, black wig on. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I think she's really brilliant. Tom Hiddleston's a very sort of charming guy. I mean, I don't think he's, like, really stretched in it, but he's doing he does a good job as well. And I think Mia Wasikowska actually does a very good job also. Yeah, I think she does the... She has the least fun in the role in a way because she's got the hardest part she's, she's got to carry pretty much all the drama by she's herself. got to carry yeah. it all and also the movie establishes her as this sort of elizabeth bennett bookworm mm. intellectual 
But then the movie requires her to take quite a sort of significant blind eye to the obvious like batshit craziness of her <laughs> husband and his and her sister-in-law. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like the movie. Everyone in the audience and the rest of the cast know they're in a horror film, uh, but she doesn't because yeah. it's like a format. You have that. You know, that's the way the plot unfolds. But um. I don't know. The movie's so much fun that that kind of plot inconsistency didn't really bother me too much. Yeah, I mean, even when it becomes quite clear that she is in, you know, serious, like, there's some... <laughs> she gets into some trouble in the movie, and she doesn't seem, like, that bothered, you know? I don't know. She's somewhat complacent, I would say, like, if you were, you know, looking for more sort of dramatic realism. Yeah, it's true. She's, like, a bit of a passive character, but every five minutes, like, a ghost springs out the floorboards, so <laughs> you're not really bored. It's, yeah. you know, never really, the shit re- will be always happening. I really like the way they did the ghosts in the movie. I thought they were really cool, these kind of, like, uh, ribbons of, sort of, skin floating through the air and, like, all these, sort of, skeletal, like, terrifying forms. Yeah, I think he's... Yeah. Um, They're very cool. Really, uh, Guillermo del Toro is really excellent at using CGI. Yeah, I agree, yeah. It's one of his real strengths. Because they're really integrated with the rest of the film in a sort of seamless way. And even when it's like clearly CGI, they're as, as like lavish and cared over as all the sort of practical effects. And it's really of a piece. Yeah, I agree completely. The, the, the art of the, his CGI creations is just as much as like all the sort of you know, the sets and everything like that. I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of fun. Like, uh... Yeah, I think what I would say is it's had like loads and loads of effort and work and time put into it but at the same time it doesn't take itself too seriously Mm. and the tone of it is pitched just right between melodrama without being ott camp but without but having some sort of degree of realism that you can invest enough in the characters yeah and the actors do a good job of pitching that tone as well like everyone in the departments are all on the same page oh yeah yeah so it's like it feels like one man's vision uh, completely translated to the screen and maybe there are like certain flaws in that but the execution is like brilliantly done yeah i'd say one, one thing about it is that a lot of these um old uh like gothic stories and everything like that they usually have um some kind of allegorical point to them or you know the, the, the sort of horror and like ghostly elements are tools that they use to tell um a not you know a psychologically real story sure, or sure, in, yeah. invest in some theme or something like that but in this movie it's not really true it's just about the um tropes yeah, there's themselves. no subtext yeah it, well it's not the movie's not really about anything yeah yeah it's true like it has it has elements of um like you know angela carter or like edgar Allan poe or um things like that or um daphne du maurier but all those things are about stuff they're all like very thematically rich and this movie isn't. It's just about indulging and luxuriating in the uh, gothic, like, cliches and tropes and stuff, which makes it, like, super fun. But dramatically speaking, it's not, like, it's not really doing anything. It's kind of inert. That's uh, true. But, yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely recommend it. It's like a fun night out at the cinema. Yeah, and it's such a sort of... Um, they don't make these movies very often. It's a yeah. real throwback. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I don't know, it's like all the sort of fun of those old movies is homaging with a real sort of modern gloss to it you know really efficiently put together absolutely yeah and it looks like something where all the money or like the budget is just on screen yeah um and uh yeah i don't know i would uh i would definitely definitely recommend going to see it go see it go see it guys go see it guys check it out yesterday i bumped into imelda staunton she was up with her dog and we got talking i asked her what she does when she isn't acting she said she likes podcasts for relaxing imelda when you're in the mood 
what do you listen to? She said, I listen to one podcast, I listen to one podcast, we're gonna watch and kiss my ass, yes, I listen to one podcast. Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat. And finally, Crimson Peak in its early pre-production stages, there were a few cast changes. Originally, Benedict Cumberbatch was going to be the Tom Hiddleston character. Mm. He couldn't do it for some reason. So, like, find me another porcelain, cheekboned man, Hiddleston, <laughs> brilliant. And Emma Stone was in talks to play the lead at one point, and then that didn't happen. But before all that, the first person cast in the movie was John Hurt. John Hurt. John Hurt, who had worked with Gamera del Toro before on the Hellboy films, and they got on uh, very well. Here's a clip of John talking about Gamero. If you wanted to insult him, you could say that he was fat. But if you wanted to be truthful about it, I think you could say that uh, he needs to be that size to contain his heart. Because it is enormous. And his enthusiasm is colossal. Obviously, has a deep respect for the man. Clearly. And they a rich sense of humor. Yeah. So originally he was in the film as the voice of the house. That was like a key plot element mm. um, in the script. And What's they... spookier than a house that talks to you in the voice it's of John terrifying. Hurt? I think Guillermo del Toro had seen those ads where John Hurt um, is the voice of the cinema um, covered in cobwebs, you know, telling people, you know, the experience shared, all gone, you know, those ones. Exactly. Um, and he's like, this guy does a good voice of an old uh, creaky place. So they shot the movie, they got John into the booth, they had him on set, sang the lines, and uh, they showed it to the test audiences, and it just just didn't work. Just didn't work. It just didn't work. But luckily, uh, they've leaked the original footage. So here's a little clip of what they sounded like. How many rooms are there? I don't know. There's 25. Would you like to count them? There's only there's 25 rooms. What do you think? Oh, she's beautiful. Does it look the part? Oh. It does. Sorry. I thought oh, you were it's even colder me. inside than out. I know, it's a disgrace. We try to maintain the house as best we can, but with the cold and the rain, it's impossible to stop the damp and erosion. And do the mines right below? Well, the wood is rotting. And the house is sinking. Your repairmen are useless. Oh. I think it's better. Much better. I like it more. I like it with John talking all the time. You know, he talks to her when she's asleep. He talks to her when she gets up in the morning. You know, when she's making the tea. <laughs> it's just John's little comments as the house all the time. I think it's pretty good. I like it because it's sort of tells me what's going on and mm. i have trouble following the films especially a movie as complex as this one well when you watch the original cut and there's a scene of um tom hiddleston walking through the house and then the house is just saying stuff like he is going to the pantry <laughs> it's good to know where he's going yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly well there's scenes where she's like where are you thomas like where are you and he's like, he is <laughs> He's in his workshop. <laughs> the house answers your questions. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. So I think they should have stuck with it. Maybe that'll be on the DVD release. Hopefully, because I really think they missed a trick. I mean, I don't know, these test audiences, 
you know, maybe you just have a hundred idiots in the audience, yeah. and the rest of the population will be like, "That was great." But don't listen. Think... Don't listen to the test audience this game. Just go with your heart, okay? Go and when you make heart. Pacific Rim two, make sure you cast John Hurt as the voice of the bass, <laughs> <laughs> their big bass. There's a few more aliens coming through the riff. Man, the giant robots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let's cancel the apocalypse again. <laughs> Anyway, we're going on too much distance. We're boring you. Probably just have to do. So we'll so, let you go. See you next week for another podcast, and see you on the twenty sixth for the mostly ungoogable film night. It's going to be the tits. It's going to be legendary. They're going to be talking about this one for years, and if you weren't there, you were going to regret it. To be there. Be there. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.